There is no loyalty except loyalty to the party. There is no love except love of Big Brother. All competing pleasures we will destroy. If you want a vision of the future, Winston, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Welcome to Novel Ideas of the Illiterati. I'm Andrea. And I am Michael. And we always feel like someone is watching us. And that's Big Brother, because this week we're talking about 1984. I mean, I got a Big Brother, so <laughs> hey, he's always looking out for me. Thanks, Big Bro. Also, is it too soon to use a Michael Jackson song reference? I don't know. Someone tell me. <laughs> well, Andrea, I, I got to say, you know, I flew all this way. I'm now in the UK, <laughs> and I get here, and they're in fucking lockdown, and all this totalitarian bullshit where I can't go out, there's, they, they, I gotta be inside to be safe, it's just, it's, it's some fucking bullshit, Andrea, you know, I'm out here, you know, on my search, but the government isn't letting me do what I wanna do. It's not cool, Andrea. We're well, living in some weird Orwellian true, shit. You will defy the government. And you will find your Harry Potter extra. Or they'll make me believe that I found her and then shoot me in the head. Love's a gamble. <laughs> it's one of the two options. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, talking about some George Orwell's 1984. And I love the fact that this, this movie came out in 1984 as well. Apparently there was also like a 50s version. Um, I just... Found out that we didn't watch right that before. one. We don't care about that no. one. No, it came out like 1954. Like, come on. Like, it's got to come out on 1984, or, or you might as well not watch it. Like, that's 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 stupid. But yeah, uh, it was interesting, and like, just like everything else that we've read, there's a nice um, tie-in to this Harry Potter podcast that we've been doing, where uh, the lead actor is this a Harry Potter like podcast, Michael? Is that what we've been doing? I'm pretty sure like, it just it just everything connects to it. It's really <laughs> weird. Like, <coughs> sorry, I have a cough today, so I'll try to edit that out. But um, so yeah, there were two people in this movie that are also in uh, Harry Potter. We have John Hurt, who played Winston Smith, the main character, who played Ollivander in Harry Potter. And then we have and, uh, and was in V for Vendetta. Oh, yeah. He was also in V for Vendetta, so we forgot to tie in last week's, but that's the tie-in. And then we have Roger Lloyd Pack, who played uh, Barty Finch. Um, he played, uh, who did he play in? He played the waiter in the movie, so he was just a waiter. But he, you know, the waiter, you know, worked hard did what he could do for his family and one day became the minister of magic. You know, we all, that's like, you know what they say, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You start off as a waiter, maybe one day you'll be the minister of magic. True. And you know what, just thinking of it, I recognized the guy, I'm bad with names, but the prisoner that came in in the movie when Winston's in the cell and he was saying, uh, the guy I who must played Parsons, be, yeah. yeah, he's like, I must be a conspirator. Um, he was that big dude. Oh my god, I'm so bad at this right now. When they all take Polyjuice Potion to get in the ministry, he's the one that Harry is. 
the big imposing one. Wait, he was also in Harry Potter? I'm pretty sure? fucking sure. I, I know faces. <laughs> People argue with me about recognizing faces in movies, and I'm always right. I will no, find out I think his you're name. you're wrong on this one. I think you're wrong on this one, because that, <gasps> that was played by Gregor Fisher, before. and I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and I do not see anything about... You're looking at the wrong that. one, then? I'm telling you, man. Hold no, up. I'm telling you that you're wrong. He was in Love Actually, which is basically a Harry Potter ripoff. So, I mean, maybe that's what you were you thinking. You keep of. talking. I'll find him. Don't worry. I'll, I will. <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> I don't fuck around with recognizing faces. I'm telling you, I don't think Gregor Fisher was in Harry Potter. It's not popping up. That might have just been some other British guy. You know how all British people look the same? You're, you're actually son looking it up right now, aren't you? Son of a bitch. You know what? You know what happened? <laughs> I did get confused with seeing him in Love Actually. You know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Cut this out. This cannot go on record. I'm, nope, it's, it's going the first in. time I've been wrong. It's going in. We're going to use this as our, uh, as our post on Instagram. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm done. I quit. Put I'm me in so a cell. Faces. I'm so good with faces. I get in arguments all the time because. Yo, no lie though. I, normally, I normally I am right though. I don't know what's happening. I'm tired. I haven't had caffeine. I need alcohol. Yeah. Well. You know. All right. This is it for this week. Come back next week when we read. <laughs> That's all we have for 1984. <laughs> That's it. Goodbye, folks. See you later. Me feeling like Big Brother's trying to tell me trying to gaslight me but they were right all along god damn it yeah so it was actually nice rereading this book um because i haven't read it since high school so reading it as an adult and reading it not as someone that grew up in a conservative area and was told certain things about the book and then the way um it seems conservatives misconstrue this book all the fucking time and, and sort of use it as as liberals are being, you know, authoritarian and totalitarian. Um, totalitarian, good lord, I can't even fucking say things. But they misconstrue this book all the time, probably because, you know, uh, the Oceania country, which is the country that we're in, which is supposedly all of the Americas, Engl uh, the UK, and... Australia, supposedly. I sort of have a theory that it's just literally the UK and they are in s so much control that people never leave and they don't know anything outside of this, so they assume that they're bigger than they actually are. Yeah, but I can see that. Yeah, because um, I mean, everything everything's a fucking lie in this, in this country, in Oceania, but sort of because, you know, they, they claim to be uh, they, 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 they're in, they're in Ingsoc, which is English socialism, mm -hmm. but they're not socialism, which is supposed to be George Orwell's way of explaining how Nazism wasn't socialist. Nazism was actually a form of capitalism, and they just used socialism as a way to steer people into their group, and nothing about what they did was socialist. And same thing with, like, other parties that do it all the time. Like, um, you have uh, fucking libertarians in the United States, but they don't actually believe in libertarian ideas because if they truly believed in libertarian ideas, then 
they would be all for open borders because that's what libertarianism is about. It's like, but all they care about is gun rights, which is a part of libertarianism. Like, uh, you should be allowed to own pretty much whatever you want. And legalizing but at the weed, same time. which, like, good. Right, exactly. <laughs> which, yeah, it's just sort of like legalizing pretty much all drugs, and they're not for that. And so they're not really libertarian. They're only libertarian only for gun rights, which is not libertarianism. No, I was saying so most of them seem to be for legalizing weed. Right, but they're not libertarianism would be for legalizing all all drugs. Yeah, that just makes people feel iffy, though, and you know. Right, <laughs> but um, like true libertarianism is the free liberty for all people decide what they can and can't do, and they should yeah. be able to move freely from country to country at, uh, on a whim, because no one should be forced to stay where they're born, and because no one chooses where you're born. You should have free liberty to, to go wherever you want. This world is all humans, and we should have the right to go where we please. But, yeah, so it's it was nice rereading this. What are your thoughts, Andrea? Well, to kind of go off what you're saying, it was really interesting reading articles back a while ago talking about, you know, there was seemed to be this expectation that society would either follow in the footsteps of Brave New World or 1984. Because they were kind of very different ideas of what the future mm -hmm. would head towards. Because, as we know, Brave New World was a very uh, excessive, hedonistic, distract people by letting them do whatever they want sort of world. And then 1984 is the opposite of, oh, we're just going to control every aspect of your life. And then apparently... The expectation was that we would head into the nineteen, uh, the Brave New World sort of lifestyle because, you know, people got a bit, they got a little bit stir-crazy. We were partying a lot in the 80s. I wasn't there. I wish I was. Sounds like a good time. A lot of, I don't know. But anyway, and then now because of things like the NSA, the fact that privacy is pretty much non-existent in so many places, people have been expecting more of a 1984 direction and... That does sound terrifying. I mean, especially if you look at certain countries like, I'm going to say China. It seems pretty <sighs> terrifying. I know, I'm not trying to fight anyone, but it's terrifying. The fact that you have these apps to rate each other and... And it affects your credit score, yeah. That sounds crazy. like the most terrifying thing I've ever heard of. And you have websites yeah. you just simply can't go on as a country. They are just inaccessible to you. Um... I mean, we're not going to talk about the Uyghurs, but that's fucked up. Anyway, <laughs> it's a separate story. Well, I see so today's society a mixture of 1984 and A Brave New World. We have people that are constantly only seeking pleasure, and then you have an other groups that are trying to repress people. And then one thing that George Orwell did not expect was that people would decide, hey, I'm cool with having a camera on me 24-7. Literally, that's what our society has become. So it's like a weird mixture of a brave new world in 1984 where everyone's carrying around phones that are constantly watching us. They can pick up what we're saying right now. And literally, as we're recording this podcast, there's probably someone at the NSA tuning in and they're like, ooh, this yeah, podcast George Orwell cool. did not expect that there would be such a thing as Snapchat with a puppy face filter that women everywhere would go crazy for because for some reason that's cute. 
Well, that and the uh, the floral flower wreath around your head. One of those. Ah, uh, yes, the wreath, because it looks so real. <laughs> I feel uh, this is like maybe going in a different direction, but just because I love this 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 film, not the 1984 film, but the film I'm about to mention, uh, Brazil, which is based off of is basically based off of 1984, but sort of takes it in a absurdist way and kind of, in my opinion, does Orwellian society better than the 1984 film did. Huh. But Whoa. I feel like our society is a little closer to Brazil in a way. We'll have to check that out. It's a great film. Everyone go watch it. Oh, and if you watch yes, it, only sir. watch the director's cut. Only watch the director's cut because the ending is different and it's a lot better and it fits more for the... Orwellian atmosphere that they're going for. So, Brazil, director's cut, directed by Terry Gilliam, came out in 1985. Fantastic film. It's fun. We like a long director's cut around here. Oh yeah, the longer the film the better, you know. <laughs> you know, I could just I want to I want a 12-hour film. What was it? Fucking Andy Warhol made a 6-hour film called I think it was called Empire, where literally he sh- he filmed the Empire State Building for I think three hours and then slowed it down to six hours and it apparently pissed a lot of people off. But I also Andy Warhol kind of pisses me off in general. But this week Michael's determined to talk about every movie but the movie we watched. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're gonna let's 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 anyways let's yeah let's, let's <laughs> talk about 1984. Let's talk about you 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 take hold of it. If we're gonna talk about you take a hold of it. You you start it off. I'm sorry. I'll go off on rambles. No, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk to you, Michael. Okay, so, I mean, I've been excited to talk to you about this one, but I love, all right, so from the get-go, we start off with our main character, Winston, going through his redundant job of uh, changing history as it's happening, which is fun, and I like that the movie picks up right as they're all chanting at the big screen, and I don't know if it's just in my head, but it seems like they did it on purpose that Winston is chanting slightly out of time with everyone else. Especially because in the beginning, he doesn't know that Julia is a co-conspirator like him, or, you know, at least in thought. So at that time, he hated everyone, and he especially hated women, which I was very curious about, probably because no one is getting laid, and when guys don't get laid, they start to hate women. I don't know why that's a thing, but hey, that's for delving into another time but <laughs> i mean these guys are pent up and they need to get some sort of release and i think he sort of goes into it that the pornography isn't even really made for men like the 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 porno sec the porno sec that julia is a part of it's more geared for women which it's not even like porno it's like celibacy porno <laughs> um it's With the so same six recycled stories over and over again per Julia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a nice little touch. I like that. Um, George Orwell has some nice little humor in there. It's fun. Hey, I mean, we've got we've got some recycled ass erotica stories these days, to be frank. But um, I mean, all those Harry Potter erotica that I've that I that I read. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I don't know if that was imagined. Also, really cool that Eurythmics did the soundtrack. I got really jazzed seeing that, and then it was a really nice soundtrack um, to fit into all of it. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that intro was really good at setting up, like, this is the society we're in. Look at them all chanting at the screen, like... And it's very weird for us as the viewer, which is good, because they set up that, like, unease from the get-go. Right. 
Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I kind of like that it started off there, because in the book, where does it start off in the book? I'm actually now blinking out where. Because it, it, it starts off at like the movie starts off with the two minutes of hate. In the book, he's heading up to work, like he's in the building going up to his desk. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so it's just sort of world building stuff. I mean, literally, like the first hundred pages of the book is straight up world building. Not like there's no real story happening it for like the first hundred pages well like it is world building i think they tie enough stuff kind of happening to keep your interest like you know he's starting a journal and you know this is dangerous and there's passages i might read because apparently i'm obsessed with reading certain passages out loud i don't know if i should keep doing yeah, do that it. i don't know do if that it. loses interest or not i like it um, who cares go for it well shit let me find it keep talking <laughs> Oh, um, so one thing I'd like that this book does that I feel like more books need to do, just because I'm a sucker for uh, anecdotes, is like early in the book, there's like an anecdote where you go to the back and you learn all about Newspeak, which, fuck Newspeak, because language is great, and the more words we have and the, the, the ability to express oneself in various ways is important. But the thing that I noticed most was that... Good sex. No one wants to have good sex in this Orwellian landscape. Good sex is horrible. What Good sex is basically chastity. And so, what is it? He knew what was meant by good sex. That is to say, normal intercourse between man and a woman for the sole purpose of begetting children and without physical pleasure on the part of the woman. All else was sex crime. Good sex sucks. No one wants good sex. I want bad sex now. It's just, it's, it's a weird society where no one is allowed any sort of pleasure and literally is like probably like one of the scariest fucking things because what makes humans great is our ability to express ourselves and our ability to gain pleasure from many different things. But to have that controlled by a government is very frightening yeah and so i thought that was curious because i talked about this with you before which george orwell's writing is most excellent when talking about sex and i also wonder if that's now on purpose because everything else is pretty dreary in this world and then winston like starts having the sex and things get better like he talks about getting getting more weight his also like his um his like little sore on his leg is feeling better and part of it is like I think just having something that isn't dreary and repetitive and I also think it was really cool that at the stage where he meets up with Julia in the movie is the first time you really see color everything's been gray it's been this gray landscape gray workspace and then he meets with Julia by this field and it's green and they keep going back to that green scene later which I think is very very cool for them to do because it's more of what that moment represents because like even the sex like you said to them the sex is not even about it necessarily at least not at the beginning at first they're really turned on by a mutual act of rebellion oh yeah which is fine I mean, that's where certain fetishes come from is literally it because something is is seen as um a deviancy from the norm and, and, and are turned on by it because 
it is seen as bad because a lot of people, at least in America, grow up in a in a way where sex is seen as not a a good thing, or at least it's a there's only like a pure way to have sex, and that's you know when you're married. Yeah. So the passage, and I think that sums it all up, is before he even talks to Julia or knows that much about her. Well, first he hates her because she thinks he thinks she's prime thought police. Um, out to get him but he has a dream about her and I love this passage it's one of my favorites but um, she comes to him in a dream and she throws her clothes off and he says what overwhelmed him in that instant was admiration for the gesture with which she had thrown her clothes aside with its grace and carelessness it seemed to annihilate a whole culture a whole system of thought as though Big Brother and the party and the thought police could all be swept into nothingness by a single splendid movement of the arm that, too, was a gesture belonging to the ancient time. Winston woke up with the word Shakespeare on his lips. And see, that's great because it's not even that he's turned on in this dream. He just loves that she's willing to brazenly take her clothes off. And he likes that. And then the fact that he's waking up thinking of Shakespeare. I mean, they're out to annihilate all literature. So, again, this, like, mutual defiance thing comes into play. That is also one of my favorite passages in this book. I also like when they have, right before they have sex the first time, he's like asking her if she's been with people before, and she's mm-hmm. like, hundreds of them. And he's like, good, because I don't like purity. I want things to be corrupt. And, and I, I love like, that he says, I love you more the more men you've been with. Yeah. Yeah, that was excellent. Um, good old Winston. He's <laughs> not a woman hater. He just hates the way that men, uh, government's controlling women and... You know, Julia was, is a part of the anti-sex league, even though, you know, she's off fucking hundreds of men, um, just because she has to keep up appearances, wearing that red sash. And that was another, probably my favorite single line from this book is, And Julia's just like, eh, it's inevitable. I don't care that much. And then he says, you're only a revolutionary from the waist down. I mean, yeah. <laughs> excellent line. Apparently she loved it too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I don't think she fully understood it. I sort of got the opinion that she didn't fully understood it because she's not very cultured. Like Winston's somewhat cultured because he was alive before the war and whatnot. So he has a little bit of stuff. But I get the feeling that she's uncultured, so she doesn't fully understand the importance of history and understanding literature and things like that. So, um, so to her, are we taking it was like fault with these authors that they always seem to set up this dynamic of older cultured man, young girl who doesn't know yet in these apocalypse? I mean, like V for Vendetta had a very similar setup, so. It's curious the women are always set up to be naive. I mean, yeah, probably. It is probably a fault of writers, especially 20th century writers. I mean, we we now have more apocalyptic books where women are more in charge and things like that and and aren't just following an older man. But Uh, go to Margaret Atwood. See your point. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, Margaret Atwood, you have you you have Hunger Games, um, you have. 
it's not so much. I don't Let's know, not talk about Hunger not, Games. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like Hunger <laughs> Games. Um, literally, I read the first book. Like, I read it because uh, uh, um, a girl I was dating at the time said, oh, you need to read this. And I read it, and I was like, it's really boring. And she's like, what, really? And I was like, she's like, well, it gets really interesting. You won't know, you won't know what happens. And I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And I called every little thing, and she was like, yeah, you're right. I was like, yep, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's not that clever of a book. But, uh, and it ripped off Battle Royale. Oh, yeah. Never it forget. A lot of different <laughs> things. But yeah, definitely Battle Royale it ripped off. Which, hey, we should do Battle Royale at some point. Hey, um, yes. <laughs> where were we going with that? Um, oh, yeah, older men and young women who just follow them around. It's sort of an unfortunate older man fantasy. Although George Orwell does make up This idea of... Like, Julia's the more sexually experienced one, which is not something you often see. Normally right. it's set up as this whole... Oh, teach me. I'm new at this. <laughs> like There is not that complete naive naivety of Julia. She is very experienced in her own way. And Winston, I don't know if he's ever had sex before. No, he, he had sex with a prostitute. And his time. wife. It wasn't good sex. But no, no, didn't it? Didn't they ever? I didn't think they ever had sex because she, whenever he touched her, she would like turn away. And but like he she said, they still would, would like, like weekly to have a child, and every day he oh, dreaded it when it was yeah. gonna happen. It's, it's for the party. Yes, yes, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they also, it was curious. Like Julia was a better survivor than him, and they do suggest that like she could really be into these kind of news videos that would come up way more than he could. He was always afraid of, like, betraying his emotions, but Julia, like, I mean, obviously he, he thought she was thought police at the get-go. She was very convincing, so I also thought that was mm -hmm. interesting. I think that's partially beneficial to Julia is growing up in just the party taking over, and yeah. um, so she had to learn at a young age how to just fall in line and do whatever. Um, speaking of which, of, pe of falling in line, ha having kids, like, listening and just watching their parents and then turning them in as thought criminals is one of the most frightening things ever. Dude, right? I mean... That, y yeah, that literally some that someone you're raising could just turn you in and... Uh, because you had a dream where you sat down with Big Brother... And, and so Big Brother's that's why Parson was in jail. Yeah, and Big Brother's brainwashed your kids into listening at your door for things you might say in your sleep. Like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Little yeah. kids were already kids terrifying, go, but... Yeah, these kids need to go, like, play hopscotch or something outside, <laughs> not be listening through keyholes. Good lord. I do... One thing I, I think is a very s smart thing that George Orwell did, and it's also just... Him obviously taking notice of Nazi, the what Nazis did, and um, and also uh, communist Russia, just sort of where they create fake patriots, yeah, and also fake enemies. So like Conrad Oglevy, the uh, the super patriot of Oceania, is I think brilliant. I think that's something that really played in that plays into brainwashing people is this patriotism um i mean we see it sort of even within our uh 
are ads for people to for young people to come and join the military They're, they always have like these really cool stylish ads and it's like oh i could be one of them um and so we just sort of manipulate people to join different military things not saying that the military is bad it's just it's, it is unfortunately necessary at this current state of human society but i do believe we brainwash our own children into thinking things um and I, I, there's a great quote i think it was by o'brien um, or maybe maybe it was an inner monologue of of winston where um it's where they said uh you can cr you can create dead men but not living ones um, so yeah it's that's a fantastic line and it's like yeah th you can claim that this person's dead and they did all these things if the person's alive then they have to play a character but if the person is dead you can say whatever you want about them they can be anything you want them to be true i want people to pretend like uh i was the person that lit up a room when i came in like they say about people when i <laughs> Yeah, whenever Andrea walks in, there's like this crazy radiancy. She there's, like, there's this glow. It's just like the room grows brighter whenever she walks in, and you just start hearing these sounds. You don't know if through the walls, it's just like angels are singing. It's it's oh god. The Andrea, really, the temperatures dropping, like, and the angels are demons. And <laughs> <laughs> well, angels, demons are angels, though, based on Christianity. We can go down that route. <laughs> all right, all right. No, no, we're not bringing we're not bringing religion into this. We can go. We can go into Michael's uh, Michael's knowing of Christian mythology. <laughs> so, um, uh, hey, we'll have yeah. We'll discuss it later. We'll do like Dante or something. But okay. That'd so, be fun. one thing I thought was really cool. Um. Mm -hmm. So as we know. Maybe you don't know. Again, I'm going to rehash things a bit better because some people don't read this and listen to us. I don't know why you're here. Again, like, thank you, but Jesus Christ. We like our voices. Shit. Um, right, I'll, I'll make it more pleasant. Okay, so, as we know, <laughs> I won't screech at you guys. Okay. Winston and Julia approach O'Brien, who Winston's felt this camaraderie with for years. This kind of silent understanding of, like, you, you hate this just as much as I do. And Julia agrees, and apparently Julia's a great judge of character, so they're like, fuck it, let's go talk to O'Brien. And O'Brien says, hey, the Brotherhood, yeah, you can join that, and I'm going to give you a book, and you've got 14 days to read it, and you have to return it, and that's going to cover everything you need to know, and then you're going to be agents of the Brotherhood, and you won't get to ask questions, and you won't know who else is in it, but we're going to give you instructions. You might throw acid in a child's face. I thought that was pretty random, but you have to be good with it. Um... <laughs> that's what it takes and if you get caught we can't help you so cool and then all right Winston gets this book and he's reading it and it's talking about something which I'm sure a lot of us suspected but it's true that these wars are kind of set up and fake and it's just to kind of keep people in line and keep them distracted and then there's this really interesting part where it talks about something being poured into the stratosphere and then later O'Brien says that same line about Winston, that he'll be erased from history and he'll be poured into the stratosphere. And then, you know, O'Brien tells him, I wrote that book, or I was part of writing that book. And I think it was really curious that he said, 
no single person ever writes a book. It's a collective effort because they're trying to wipe out literature as it's known from the collective, mm-hmm. you know, consciousness. Um, but I thought that was really clever to use a line from the book that he echoes later because O'Brien's just such a kind of parrot for certain ideals. Um, but yeah, that was cool. Yeah. O'Brien's a really scary figure because he's, he's someone that makes you believe that you can trust him and then he was against you the entire fucking time and i think the book did that way better than the movie does i i really don't like the way o'brien's portrayed in the movie i will say that yeah like they both had a certain stoicism about the character like i know even in the book it talks about how O'Brien didn't really react to things that were said, but he just kind of said things that suggested an understanding. But the lines were always delivered very stoically. But yeah, I agree because the book can, you know, that's where books have an advantage. And if unless you're doing an, um, a speakover on the scene, like you don't really get to know what the character's thinking. So in the book, it mm-hmm. just talks about all these little moments he's had with O'Brien where he just seems to get him. And that doesn't really change. Like, that's the scary part, like you said. Even when he's torturing him, he seems to understand why Winston thinks the way he does. But that's also really scary because he knows when he's lying just to not be tortured. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's where... That's one thing, like, uh, since you sort of mentioned it, like, the, the, the voiceover monologue, I kind of wish they did more of that in the movie. There's so many things that they don't really get into and I don't think visually they explained some of the world building stuff. Like I'll even like, they don't even really like show off like the pole, the proles and they like, they, they, only, they basically only show like that one woman singing, but the proles take up like what, like 80% of the population. So there should be a lot of them, especially when, Winston goes off to the Proles district. And that's another thing is you the movie doesn't give you a sense of exactly where you're at within this city. And like it's hard to tell when you're in the party district, when you're you sort of know when you're in the inner party because they go to a slightly nicer building. But like the difference between the party district and the parole district wasn't really all that different, and you just don't really ever see the proles as well. Um, you don't hear some lady yelling about some cockney bullshit that's going on like in her life, and you don't have like that old drunk man that's that Winston's trying to talk to and try to learn about the past. You don't you don't have those little things that I think help the world building and help the story. Um, there's just and you don't really like the movie doesn't really even go into um, newspeak all that much. Like I mean I get that it probably is hard and that most of the book's understanding of newspeak is through the anecdotal bit, but. It's sort of it's, it, Newspeak is such a big proponent of that Orwellian society that it's it's to me it felt missed. Yeah, I 
I get that. And I, I mean, this book really is kind of a beautiful celebration of the average person in a way, because as they're saying, the hope lies with the proles. And that was one of the really beautiful scenes to me was just how he talked about this woman hanging up clothes, singing songs that a computer wrote, but somehow making them beautiful. And how much Winston mm -hmm. appreciated her for that. And, you know, he's wondering how many children she's had. And he's talking about how all over the world, there's just people like her keeping the world going, having children and just working in and out. And that's really, I mean, humanity is the average person's story because we're all, you know, obviously we watch, <laughs> we watch shows about doctors and cops and things like that. And, I don't know, it's really curious, like, the average person's story seems to get lost in it, but, and something we're kind of terrified as being an average person, but that's all history's been for the most part, is people surviving and getting through things and somehow keeping things going. Yeah, humans are, uh, we're an interesting bunch. So, speaking on the pearls a little bit more, um, one line that I found really, I feel like, Orwell kind of fucked up. Um, it's the one thing that I think Orwell fucked up and um, may, he, he may not have realized. Because Newspeak, there's no real word for freedom and the slogan of the party, um, it, it incorporates those three lines. Uh, war is peace. Um, what is it? Freedom it's is slavery. Freedom is slavery. And then there's one more, but... So freedom is slavery, but that's like their slogan. But apparently the party also has a slogan for the proles, which is proles and animals are free. I feel yeah. like the party wouldn't use that type of language, like using free in that way. Because especially in the anecdotal bit, I believe, um, if I remember correctly, it goes Ignorance into how Ignorance is strength. Free Sorry, that's the last yes, one. Yeah, that was the other <laughs> one. But um, it, it sort of goes into the usage of free isn't about f isn't like uh one's liberties it's it's about um like almost like free from i don't know it's it, it i forget exactly what it was but um it just seemed odd to me that the party would you would have a slogan specifically for the proles that uses free well but the thing is they've really watered down what the word free means so i can I can kind of see why it's not a non-issue for them because they're setting up being free as something not that desirable because they always talk down on the proles and they see them as puppets that they can just rile up anytime. So, but it is curious because they're also saying, you know, and Winston has this conversation with O'Brien, I think, where he's talking about how Eventually, the slogan will mean nothing because no one will really understand the concept of freedom anyway. But I think they're already getting to that point where, especially Julia's generation, like, this is all they've grown up in. Um, and that was actually, like, a really heartbreaking moment is when Winston's talking about just being in bed with Julia and he's wondering, was there a time when this seemed normal? Just have a woman and man casually, naked, having sex, no obligations just, you know, spending a day being together and eating and drinking and all of that. Yeah. 
And it touched on yeah. the scarcity of things really well. I mean, having parents that grew up in communist Romania, uh, waiting in long lines for bread, they also had saccharin tablets because there weren't really sweets. So they had these saccharin tablets that were made, meant for people with diabetes, but people would just eat them because they missed sugar and sweet things. So that was oh, also wow. like a really touching moment is when Julia finds real coffee and real sugar. Like, obviously I didn't live through it, but I could just see, I could understand the importance of it if you didn't have that for a long time. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know why, for some reason, I mean, this is slightly different, but I used to, um, my friend and I used to eat his brother, like well, his brother offered them to us. Um, his his brother would offer us uh his his glycerin tablets, <laughs> so like just pure sugar because he had a he he had a insulin um, pump and he had diabetes. But we used to eat his little his little gl- glycerin. Um, oh, was I saying glycerin or glucose? Sorry, glucose. Yeah, tablet. that's what it was for um, my pr- glucose sorry. tablets. Yep. <laughs> yeah, glucose tablets. That's that's what I meant. Um, but yeah, those things were great. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you don't have chocolate, those things are great. Yeah, oh, I like them. Oh. <laughs> it's funny, well, like you have too many of these because these are like yours, you get man. But used yeah. to things, and you attach a certain nostalgia because I don't know. Somehow we got some, and my dad's like, "Oh man, glucose tablets! I haven't had these in years." He's like, "You should try it and see what we used to eat." And like, he was kind of excited just to eat one again now that he didn't like have to. But it was kind of like a weird <laughs> memory for him. Um, <laughs> oh, Papa Andrea, Andrea, Papa. Um, <laughs> that, that's my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess kind of. Um. <laughs> oh. Another uh, a thing in the movie, I, I it was uh, there's like a couple of different things that I found a little weird. Um, one, it was I get the whole the slowness of the film. I do that's the slowness. I sort of get the books slow because I mean it's building up a world, but I don't. And like I mentioned before, I don't think the movie did a great job of building up that world. Like a lot of the world you would have had to have read the book to kind of understand. And I feel like if someone had just watched the movie and not read the book, they wouldn't fully get everything. But I found it weird when when Winston got the book from O'Brien, he opens the book directly in front of a telescreen. So he's literally incriminating himself, opening this book right in front of a telescreen. It made no sense. Absolutely no sense. At this point, he's he's already kind of accepted they're going to die. Like, because he's been talking about it for a while, how they already had a foot in the grave, both he and Julia. And he tells her, like, hey, if we stop hanging out, you could just live out 50 more years and you won't get in trouble. Um, So I'm seeing it as, like, he's kind of accepting his fate and is just testing his limits at this point. But it was a bit, yeah, a bit casual. <laughs> I mean, it, but it goes against Winston of the book. Like, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like that, but th- I mean, them doing them with their talk with O'Brien, saying like, "You will die." Blah blah blah. This is the only reward you will ever get is basically death within the Brotherhood, and you will never actually get any full answers. But 
don't know. It just sort of changed up the way they acted after that moment because it was because I believe if if I remember correctly, somewhere in the book, it's he, Winston mentions that he didn't want to do as many little um, potential breaks away from the party because now he felt like he was a part of something and he wanted to actually like make sure that he was doing right by the by the brotherhood and he didn't want to like give himself up so i believe he's mentioned something like that after they talked with o'brien and so it was like yeah it just it just felt weird to me and the movie i don't even think it they even hit did they it didn't even talk about them hiding the tele screen behind the the painting they mentioned like when uh when winston goes to goes to to buy the room the 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 landowner is like yeah this painting it's fixed to the wall you can't take it down but when when they're caught the tele screen sort of appears behind the portrait and they hear a voice talking from the telescreen and whatnot. So it was I just actually a thought this up. was pretty similar in both that the painting just kind of fell away to reveal the telescreen. Yeah. I, but what was curious in the movie, I don't think they even show, unless I'm not remembering, I don't think they even show Mr. Charrington coming upstairs and Winston realizing that he kind of sold them out. Um, you just have the, yeah, I don't think that the police show up. And I actually thought that mm -hmm. was really curious how the screen was echoing what they were saying to each other. Like, they've surrounded the building. And then the screen repeats that. And then Julia's saying, we might as well say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And the screen says yeah. that as well. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed in the movie's depiction of the department of love it just it didn't feel as threatening like it sucked still it still sucked they were all getting tortured but it didn't feel as threatening like the the guards weren't being shitty and beating them up the guards were very stoic just sort of just standing there and were like they I don't even think they ever talked but it was really weird Sp and because you because we sort of you, I think you you mentioned Parson in the in the room when he's like going off about how his kids um, turned him in, how he's thankful that his kids turned him in. I found that really awkward in terms of um, filmmaking because Parson is like you know he's scared and like he's like saying take uh, Winston instead of him, whatever. But he's the true thought criminal, not him. Um, and then he just sort of gets up abruptly and just walks to the guards. It's really weird because during that whole sequence of like his monologue and him being scared and whatnot, he's talking to the camera, which is looking towards our direction. But then when he's like, and, and also when he's like frightened and like saying, don't come, don't take me, don't take me, whatever. Um, which was really weird because the black guards weren't on, on screen at all. And then the camera pans to the right and the guards are over that way to the right. So he's not even like talking to the guards. He's talking to our camera, which is really awkward in terms of filmmaking. That's my little filmmaking critique. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on that. But yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
what you're saying. One thing that was curious though, I think they followed the book a lot in many ways, especially, I mean even in the Department of Love, I agree it was way more harrowing in the book, and they left out the Gaunt Man, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, made Winston realize they were slowly starving people, and then that, you know, really poignant scene where this other prisoner tries to give him a loaf of bread, and then he gets completely battered for it, and then, like, they really convey how brainwashed everyone is, because the the person who tried to give the got man some bread sits down and just feels ashamed because everyone's looking at him like, why did you do that? That was so wrong. But really, it was just a really pure act of humanity. And uh, that's like, that's where a lot of the shots of this film don't show lots of people. Like the only time you see a large group of people is in during like the two minutes of hate and um, them yelling at the screen. Yeah. You don't ever really get a sense of how big this society is and how many people are are believing in this and that like like w most of the time Winston's walking around outside. There's not many people on the streets and like there's so many things that they could have done where people are maybe watching telescreens on the side of the street or participating in some sort of activity and I don't even know I don't remember if the movie even got into like all the hangings that are going on and they showed like it that. briefly but I think we were more focused on him and Julia in the crowd right and but like I reading the book I just felt like he was always walking around in large crowds because people are basically cattle in this government society yeah and in the movie it just felt empty <laughs> hello sorry there's poppy she's been poppy <laughs> she's been showing up <laughs> she was like she's like i i wanted she would just want to make sure that we weren't alone thanks poppy <laughs> um yeah no i i do see what you mean there like I would love to to redirect this this story and I mean, give it I didn't think it was heavier. that bad. I it's I not don't know. bad. It's just it's hard for me to explain because it's it's not bad, but it's not up to par with the book. And there's so many things that they could have done visually that would have been interesting if they just showed certain things, especially certain things, like if they, since they, they didn't really want to do inner monologue stuff, if they showed these things happening around Winston to yeah. give the viewer, give the viewer an understanding of the world and whatnot, um, since they don't want to, the, the movie wasn't really dialogue heavy. It was actually, it was very atmospheric, which is completely fine. I love atmospheric movies. But, there's just so much to the 1984 story that like, you just gotta, you guys kind of gotta show it all because in order to, for someone to truly understand what George Orwell was going for, I feel like you wouldn't out of the film. I, and I mean, a lot of, a lot of what George Orwell was going for, you kind of end up learning about when Winston's reading the book, like, it's like what, like almost like twenty straight pages of, of a book within a book. 
and you sort of it, it gives you a another grasp on top of the other anecdotes. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the movie. It's fine. They did a fine job, but I don't know. It just there's just a little bit more they could have done, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. I did love how they kept um, re going back to the golden place when Winston's being tortured. He keeps picturing mm-hmm. those green fields again. Because um, I appreciate yeah. any good stream of consciousness done, and I think that was very effective. It's kind of like his safe space. Um, but yeah, the book doesn't, like, the book really conveys how long he's there, whereas in the movie, I mean, I know it's a bit harder to convey time, but especially because he kept getting beaten by the guards and being left alone. And that was also really fucked of how, like, the screen, if you move at all, it yells at you, so you just learn to be very still while you're mm-hmm. um, imprisoned. But yeah, it, it's a it's a much longer process in the book. And then... You know, they do break him. The thing is, I think they could have conveyed that. Like, there's there's lots of different ways. Like, you just do uh, shorter shots. Um, clearly, this director and cinematographer liked doing long takes. But, like, you could have done a lot of shorter shots showing all the different things that are done to them. Um, almost in, like, a montage sequence. But, and that's sort of... <laughs> The movie, as much as I like that they started off with the two minutes of hate, I feel like that is the fastest paced sequence and sort of it starts you off in this very abrupt feeling, this very, uh, this this feeling of all these people that are angry and just like very hateful and just yelling. And so you have that, you have this anxiety filled moment, but then the rest of it is just sort of just played pretty flat and stoic. And you don't get any sort of anxious feeling. You don't, there's no, there's no changing up the emotional state of what's on screen. Yeah, that's fair. And also the sex scenes weren't as good in the movie. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's just because George Orwell can write a sex scene. I wish he could write me a sex scene. Um, yeah, all in all, I think it was a decent adaptation. It was decent. I didn't have big issues. I'm going to say it did like a, like a 7 out of 10, 7 or 8 out of 10. I'd give it a 6, but yeah, I'm, I'm, it's definitely not like a failure of a movie. It's just, like, it's not like a movie I feel like I need to rewatch. So, um, it was enjoyable. Um, Definitely recommend this book. Oh, yeah. Everyone should read 1984. Yeah, and uh, yeah, everyone should read this. Go read this. Go read A Brave New World as well while you're at it. I don't think there's... I think there might have been a, an adaption of A Brave New World, and I heard it sucked. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. We might have to do that at some point. But that Soma, though. That Soma sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, I'd like <laughs> some Soma right now. Mm-hmm. And some orgy-porgy. All we I, have I want some orgy-porgy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All we have is the Stroke Soma, which is a great song, but um, <laughs> it's good. It's good, but it's no, it's no like true Soma. So no, not at all. But yeah, um, thanks for listening. Yeah. 
Hope it was good for you like it was for us. Next week, we'll be talking about... Are we doing Slaughterhouse 5? Oh, we're doing Slaughterhouse 5. Keeping this ball rolling. Hell yeah, we're doing Slaughterhouse 5. God. A great, great novel. Truly amazing. A short read, too. Everyone, everyone just do yourself a favor and read it. I mean, especially we're talking stream of consciousness. We're talking just beautiful beautiful literature mm-hmm. and then since it's get your since it's Kurt Vonnegut you know there's there's always some nice humor interspliced in different sections so god I love I love Kurt Vonnegut too bad he fell down a, a yeah. flight of stairs is that how that's he how he went damn that's harsh yeah. while you're at it speaking of just great sci-fi type authors everyone should go watch fuck me ray bradbury if you want an excellent video to lift the mood fuck me ray bradbury the greatest sci-fi writer (laughs) in history yeah there you go or you could listen to michael's version which good job that was great (laughs) Uh, oh we we need to do a ray bradbury movie at some point i think i I know there's a couple adaptions of fahrenheit 451 um and i did anyone ever do any of the, like, a movie adaption of The Martian Chronicles? That'd be fun. I guess that's it. You know, we'll catch y'all next week. Until then, um, yeah. <laughs> Until then, read a fucking book. You read a book. Hopefully it's Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah. But if you read any book, I won't be mad. Unless it's Twilight. Put that shit down. Yeah, or Fifty Shades of Grey. Read Slaughterhouse-Five instead. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you later. <laughs> Yeah, I'll see you next time. Uh, hopefully, you find your girl oh. during lockdown. It's going to be tough. You know, the, the Don't let them tell you what to do. Just like I feel like Winston and Julia, the government's trying to keep us apart. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I need to walk around with a sling and fall down, and she'll be there, and I can drop a note in her hand that says, I love you. And, you know, we can finally run away together. Which, in terms of ways of hitting on someone, that's a pretty good way. It gets the attention for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take one from Julia's playbook. Wait, no, I'm gonna hold up. Hmm. This is we're bad at. Well, this is my fault. But I do want to say that note, the note saying "I love you," though they hadn't talked. To me, it made me think of the note from Valerie and V for Vendetta, where she says like, "Even though I don't know you, I love you," because. I understand you and you're both in the same place as me so yeah like I I value who you are like I get that I think that that's what happened with Julia she could tell Winston had certain things in common with her so even though she didn't know him she knew enough of from observing him that he was pretty like-minded and she knew she loved that I don't know yeah exactly I'm I think no I think that's a great fucking point (laughs) and we threw that in right at the end which is great yeah, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Two little random thoughts on core. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so just uh, so a handwritten note from from Andrea and me to all of you, you know, just placing it into your hands as as we leave right now, and we we like just want to say yeah, we we love you. I hate purity. I hate goodness. I don't want virtue to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Well, I ought to suit you then. I'm corrupt to the core.